Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Now, public toilets might not be something you've ever given much thought to, but if you're a woman, chances are you've stood in a long line for the ladies before. Maybe you've noticed the complete lack of public toilets in Ireland's major cities, or you've been forced to buy something in a coffee shop or a restaurant just to use their facilities. This universal problem with public toilets is the focus of a new book, Nowhere to Go, by Canadian author Leslie Lowe. Describing herself as the toilet lady, Leslie is on a mission to change the way cities approach one of our basic human needs. Also joining the discussion is journalist with Fora.ie, Zuzia Whelan, who is one of the only people in the country to bring attention to our lack of public toilets and the need for what is called potty parity in Ireland. So, what does the ideal public toilet look like and why is it a women's issue? Let's find out. Leslie, nowhere to go. It's come from a long-held obsession about public toilets. It's not a hugely discussed subject generally. How did this start with you? How it started with me was I had kids, as many of us do. And um, when I had kids, I realised my entire relationship to the urban core of my city and lots of other places absolutely changed. And that's because I had one way of navigating the world, which was as a a healthy, uh, able-bodied woman who could, you know, pretty much find the bathroom she needed to or wait until she got there, um, to somebody who was in charge of a child who would look at you and say, I have to pee. And you had 30 seconds to find a toilet. Um, So that just, it just made me realize I couldn't go the same places I went. I couldn't navigate the city the same way. Um, And so I started thinking about public bathrooms and how this could be that something that I had really not put a lot of thought into before in my life had such a big impact. Because Leslie, what's fascinating about your book, it made me think very hard and realize that uh, it just takes one life-changing event to make you look around and think this is a shocking situation and it doesn't have to be children. It can be a lot of other things as well. That's right. That's true. And I, and I also think there's an inevitability to that because we all, you know, we all age, we all um, eventually end up with our, our toilet needs changing over time. That's just a natural part of being a human if we're, if we have the luxury of getting old. So I think it is something we all face and yet it's something we really don't talk about as a society very much. And I think 
from the point of view, I mean, it can creep up as even before that, Leslie. I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. about women who menstruate, incontinence, yep. bowel disease, food intolerances. Yep. I mean, I have a very good friend who suffers from a food intolerance and it is an appalling sight to see her look reaching for a, a toilet yes, when that happens. Yes. So food intolerance is pregnancy. And as you point out in the book, if you're a caregiver for children, an elderly person, a person with a disability, um, that can happen to us at all stages in our lives. So it's an am- That's right. the amazing thing is that we haven't sort of risen up and rebelled about this before now. We really haven't, which is also fascinating to me. And it's something I, I really tried to think about in the book. And I, I think the reason is that um, there are sort of I I mean, you touched on this just in that question. There are layers of privilege, you know, and I consider had considered myself and still do quite toilet privileged. Um, And by that, I mean, you know, I'm I'm a middle class woman. So if I need to buy a muffin in order to access a toilet, I can do that. Uh, I don't use a mobility device, so I don't have to look for that specialized toilet. I, I'm not homeless who are, can be people who either are profoundly without toilets or who can't access toilets. Many other people can, um, because of the way they look or because they're simply barred from toilets. I'm not trans, so I never have to worry about verbal or physical harassment using a toilet. So there's all these layers. And I think when you're sort of the fewer of those layers you have to worry about, the less you really have to worry about toilets. And the more it seems like one of those things that's just like, oh, well, you know, people make do. People make do. And they do, Leslie. And what's extraordinary, and and again, your book made me look at this in a different way, the fact that we are almost conditioned to expect a long queue at a woman's toilet, our legs plaited, we're standing in a, in a, in a very long queue and we see the yeah. men breezing in and out of the, the palace, a largely yeah. empty palace that they, they occupy. It's, it is a women's issue, isn't it? It is. I, I make the argument in the book that it's, it is a women's issue deeply. Um, and I think that that's because something you touched on earlier, women are more often caregivers for older people or younger people, um, but women wait. But we, we actually know why women wait. Um, there have been studies done on it. So we know that it's actually about the design of bathrooms. But in our sort of cultural mythology or zeitgeist, we we create these fake reasons that women wait, like women are doing their hair or their makeup or they're talking or they're just wasting, somehow wasting time. But actually women take longer to use the toilet than men. They take longer to empty their bladders. They go more frequently um, and they go for more reasons than men, which primarily among those is menstruation and, and caregiving. Now, we'll come back to that. I just want to bring in Zuzia here, who actually has sort of roamed Dublin, I think, looking for toilets and is one of the very few people to have actually written about it. Zuzia, Dublin, have, did you have some kind of epiphany someday and you realised that toilets really were very important things that we've never thought about? Well, how I got into writing about it, I guess, about a year and a half ago, Stunned from a pretty ordinary conversation with my flatmate who was complaining that she had been somewhere recently where she'd been waiting in line in a queue to a toilet for so long that she actually had to abandon it midway to get back to the event she was at. I've had to do that so many times myself, where in particular in the theatre, um, in one, one in particular, actually in Dublin, um, where I've been waiting in queue for maybe... 25 minutes and 
I didn't kind of get in, so I just had to go back after the intermission and wait it out like many, many other women in the line. Um, and I think the question of that privilege is a really interesting one as well that Leslie brought in because it's an easy subject to, I guess, find humour in, which is great because it makes it easier to talk about, but it also is a big intersection um, of so many different needs and privileges um, because it's a really basic human need. I mean, sanitation is a really basic human need. So, yeah, I haven't found Dublin great, to be honest. Um, Okay, we'll get back to that in more detail um, in a minute because there is a difference between public toilets on the street and public toilets that are available to certain people mm. in pubs and, and, and retail retailers and that sort of thing. And I think there's an important distinction to be made there. But Leslie, can we go back to the difference between uh, female physiology and why are, why it's a women's issue? Sure, absolutely. So women, um, as I said, take longer to empty their bladders than men. Um, they have more, we have more clothing. Um, so you're not just going to a urinal, uh, and doing a really basic movement to, to use the urinal. Women are, have to lift up or pull down many layers of clothing. We just, and that's not, this is something men, some men I've talked to about this sort of think, well, you know, that's your own fault, but no, that's, I mean, that is just who, women are. There are different, there are cultural differences to women as well as biological differences. And no women should be blamed for that or looked down upon for that. That is just how it is. Um, and women also go into the bathroom more frequently. So menstruation, um, and also they are with other people more often by which I mean children and older people. What that means, all of that is that we know that women take about, there's two different sets of stats, um, but the one I use most frequently is men take about 60 seconds, women take about 90 seconds door to door. So if you look at that number, women need about two to three times the provision of men. Fine, you know, we can wrap our heads around that. But what we have to remember is in most buildings. Um, and I haven't looked in Dublin. I haven't looked in Ireland generally, um, you know, inspected <laughs> door to door, <laughs> but, um, in many buildings in Canada and the U S and other places, I did the bulk of the research for the book. When you look at a building that has been built, you know, before the 1990s, a very typical bathroom setup is, um, men's on one side, women's on the other, no gender neutral option. Typically, um, and it's the same square footage for each bathroom. And because of that, in the men's, you may fit, you know, two stalls and six urinals, whereas on the women's side, you may only fit three stalls. So you can see right there, the, the sort of calculus of peeing is, is out of whack, completely out of whack. And women are necessarily going to wait because we need two to three times the provision. And what we're often getting is, you know, half. And one of the interesting other stats I read in your book, which I should have known already, Leslie, is that generally people need to use the bathroom about seven or eight times a day. Right, right. Which is a lot. Yes. And none of us, I I mean, if you thought about it, maybe you could add it up. But I, I, when I got that stat, I thought, no, but yes, yeah, we all are using the bathroom six to eight times a day. 
One of the things that enrages you, I think, Leslie, is cust- <laughs> customers, customers only signs on bathrooms. Yeah. Um, now, this, this is where the difficulty comes in. You have, you have uh, commercial owners, retailers and that sort of obviously trying to be selective about who they admit to their bathrooms. Mm-hmm. And they therefore quite often, as I say, as usual, point out to me, they're situated at, on the third floor at the far end of, the, of the, the fashion floor in department stores and that sort of thing. But wh- what is the ideal bathroom and how do we achieve this kind of access? Well, there's two different takes on that in the sort of bathroom obsessed world. Um, there are people who believe that, and I'm one of these people, that um, public toilets are part of the common, which is to say, when we walk, all of us go outside today, we walk around our cities, we see trash cans and we see benches and we see bus shelters and we see bike racks and we see street sign- street lamps and street signs. Um, and we don't think, hmm, now who's paying for that? Who should, who should be in charge of paying for that? We know uh, intuitively, I guess, that those are part of the common. Those are, those are things that benefit the public good, that are necessary for a well-functioning city. And so we understand that our tax dollars go to pay for and maintain those things. I think toilets are the same because they are 100% um, necessary for our use of the city. They are 100% necessary. You cannot escape sanitation. Um, so I, 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 I think they should be paid for by tax dollars and they should be part of the common. And what I often say to people is if you think about your local cafe and there's a street light out in front of it, you don't think, Oh, well, you know, we should let the cafe uh, bear the capital cost of putting in the street light there. And when the bulb goes out, we should make sure that the cafe changes the bulb to make sure the sidewalk is safe outside. We don't say that. We assume that the city will take care of it. We never offload that responsibility. Many toilets have been offloaded into onto private um, businesses. So that that is a little bit tricky because private businesses bear a cost there. And they also have to, you know, deal with situations that they may not want to deal with, people they don't want in the bathroom, um, people that they have to maybe belligerent or people who are making a mess. They have to deal with that. It would be perfect if all toilets were on street and paid for by the government. That's not going to happen. So we do need to somehow massage what is inevitably a challenge for private businesses. Mm-hmm. Suja, in Dublin, uh do we have any public toilets, as in the genuinely public sense, where you can walk in off the street to a toilet? I can't think of any. Um, I know a couple of years ago there was one of those um, coin-operated ones in Dunleary, and that has an allotted amount of time, which if you're someone who is using the bathroom for any kind of longer reason, maybe changing a baby, I assume it would be very alarming to then have the door just open on you. Um, but apart from that, I can't think of any, you know. So we have no public toilets. And so when you are writing about toilets, you are writing about toilets that are actually within other within private buildings. Yes. And that's what we have. That is what we have. Yeah. If you're lucky enough to get inside one. (laughs) And what is the distribution like? I think you found that they actually there's fairly even distribution or that there are actually more facilities for women. Yeah, I mean, 
there are a number of facilities, but again, it's it's about access. So a lot of them say in Stevens Green, you have to go up two flights of stairs, maybe two and a half flights of stairs to get to the bathroom and you have to pay in. The Brown Thomas one is the same. The McDonald's one is the same. I'm just listing the popular ones among my friends here. Um, and I will never forget one instance where I had a, a kidney infection and my 25 minute walk home was very unpleasant. Um, and that's when I really saw how sparse bathrooms are in Dublin. And that is another th- issue which affects women more than men, just kind of physiologically. Um, so, yeah, that, that is what I was writing about. But at the same time, even if you do get into a private building, there's often a massive queue. There's often the customer's only sign. There are a lot of impediments in the way. The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. Leslie, obviously we're not doing a great job here in Ireland from that point of view (laughs) and would welcome a visit from you. But you actually have spent an awful lot of time looking at toilets around the world and, and, and the best and worst examples. So, and one of the big problems we have had up to now is that, is the fact that men dominate the planning and design of bathrooms, which is a huge problem. The second thing is that I think, if I may summarise, men tend to vandalise toilets and women tend to be much messier. So can you just talk me through a little bit of this? (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, that that the last thing you said is... uh, anecdotal from my book, that is what I found was that people said, you know, men were more uh, prone to, I think it, I think I call it a laboratory. No, I can't remember the word, but (laughs) you know, yes, men will tear doors off the hinges. This was people who manage bathrooms said that this was the case and women are messier. Um, I, I sort of make the case in my book that women are messier because women use math bathrooms much more. Um, and because bathrooms aren't very well designed and I use the example of the toilet paper rolls, which in lots of commercial bathrooms are, are manufactured on these sort of extra large pizza sized, um, rolls, the toilet paper is quite thin. Um, and so when you pull it little tiny, uh, bits and of toilet paper come off, they wind up on the floor, it ends up being a mess. Um, yeah, so I think that 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 is, that's something I learned anecdotally in the book. And I would say, you know, I don't spend a lot of time in men's bathrooms, but um, I see that in women's bathrooms, they can get quite messy. But that actually, t- you know, ties back around to the idea of um, bathroom attendance, which I talk about quite a bit in the book. And that, that could be, um, that could be, I think something that, that benefits everybody. If we, if we could go back to more of a model where we had bathroom attendants and people who sort of, you know, kept the queue in order and kept the bathrooms in order. And I have seen examples of that. I think one of the things that I'd like you to backpedal a bit to, uh, Leslie, is how women physically use toilets. If the toilet yeah. is, is is already a little bit wet looking, they will oh, ho- yes. they will hover. Uh, will. If we're talking about messiness here, I just I think we should be very clear <laughs> about some of the causes. Yes, that is a messiness I should have mentioned. Yes. Yeah. So when so women, because we urinate in a seated position, most of us, um, yeah, when the toilet seat gets wet, because 
one person, the first person comes in for the day and decides to not seat herself on the toilet and decides to hover, then urine gets all over the toilet seat. And some women will wipe it up and have a seat and other women will hover or, you know, maybe it's just a dirty toilet that hasn't been cleaned in a while and you don't feel like sitting on it. Of course, um, that just makes more of a mess because more urine gets on the seat and it ends up being quite a sticky situation. I still can't believe you actually wrote a book about this because it makes <laughs> me slightly nauseated to think about it, Leslie. But so you, you have looked at all these toilets and you've looked at models that work and don't work. But in the end, you came to one conclusion, which is staffing. Yeah, I think that is that's something that can help. It is. I think when people hear that, when probably city administrators hear that, they think, Oh my gracious, no. I mean, that's the cost is astronomical, they, they imagine. Um, but I, I think there are examples where this can work in places where it needs to work. So where you have problems with um, people who are not using bathrooms appropriately. And the example I will give is, I, and I have a whole chapter in my book about this, is um, San Francisco, California, um, had an, they had installed a number of on-street um, public bathrooms, and, and I call them in the book J.C. Decos. That's what the sort of name for them is. It's after the company that, that manufactures them. So these are the sort of on-street toilets. Sometimes you put a coin in, although that's really uncommon in North America. We generally do not pay to use toilets. Um, these ones, you go in, the door slides closed, uh, you, you use it, you have a timed amount of time, and then the door opens. Um, they had installed a number of those and done what many cities do, which is they put these things in and think, okay, our work here is done. We just have to get somebody to go every day and change the toilet paper and wipe up the seat. Um, but in fact, those bathrooms are were being used for um, sex work. They were being used for drug trafficking. Um, in one case, one city administrator told me in, in uh, San Francisco, a family had moved into a toilet. They were profoundly homeless and they had moved in and jammed the door. Um, yeah, so there wasn't enough oversight of the bathrooms. Um, and so really these were looked at as this failure. What they did was they created a program where they had an attendant on many, not all, of these toilets. Um, and that was a person who stood outside the toilet. And I've had conversations with these attendants. Um, they stand outside the toilet. They they make sure the queue is in order. They go in after every use. So they just make sure that everything looks great. Um, yeah, and they, they have, that program has really, really changed toilets in San Francisco. And it's it's made them um, accessible to anybody who wants to use them. Whereas before it was really, you know, you would see one of these toilets on the street and you knew you had to avoid it. These are what you call the pit stops, Leslie, are they? That's right. Yes. And this is a, a big culture shift. And there you said not alone were they sparkling clean, but they're staffed by people who say who welcome you and who yes. are former prisoners. That's right. Former federal inmates. Yeah. And yeah, who, are, so, who are paid, what, 14, 15 dollars an hour? Yeah, um, it's not they're not paid minimum wage. And I don't I don't know what minimum wage is in the States, but and I'm forgetting the number that they're paid, but it's not a small amount. But it's a it's a job. I talked to a few of them 
first of all, just, you know, not as a reporter, just as a, a, a patron waiting for the toilet. And it was a great experience. It was nice to just have somebody to chat with as a tourist in that city who welcomed me. Um, and, and then I asked them about their job and they, they enjoyed their jobs. Susha, that actually sounds like the answer to everything. I mean, from from your investigations and you've talked to various um, city people in the city authority and that sort of thing. What are the chances of us introducing public toilet models like that? Did you get a sense that something was going to happen? Um, As far as I know, in 2018, Dublin City Council promised to spend about 200,000 for public toilets um, for last year. But at the end of last year, they had pretty much still failed to spend a penny of that money on public toilets in the city. Um, I think at the time, Dublin Council's head of finance said that the provision of automatic public conveniences had been considered, but um, it was their view that such units would not be suitable for city centre locations and would not be sufficient to provide suitable family-friendly facilities. So they were studying a service-based or a service retail-based model, um, a pay-per-use toilet provision, Um, as operated in other European cities. As far as I know, that hasn't gone anywhere. Um, We did have a number of public bathrooms in the 90s, but they were closed down at the time. Well, they were closed down in the 90s because Gardaí were advising that basically there was an increasing amount of antisocial problems, drug use, sex work and, and vandalism in them. And you can kind of see them speckled around the city, chained, closed, not really doing anything. So... I think, as far as I know, that's that was the last of it. Which is kind of exhausting, Leslie, isn't it? Because then what happens? Right. And I think the, that sort of code for um, these things don't work unless we put extra money into them. And so we those aren't they're not going to work. And I think that's kind of the um, that's really the thrust of it is when when municipalities install toilets, They don't inexplicably, I can't explain this, but I saw it over and over and over again. They don't think through the ongoing cost of running the toilet. So it is not merely plunk a toilet in. That's, you know, we're tickety boo. It's, it's a situation where you need to understand who's going to use the toilet, how frequently it's going to be used and what kind of maintenance, which is not merely cleaning and supplies, but also attendance or, or frequent uh, visits, you need to understand what it's going to take to make that bathroom work. So, I, I mean, you would, cities do this with, for example, presumably trash cans, you know, we think, oh, this trash can is in a very busy spot, and it's going to fill up three times a day. And so we need to make sure, you know, person X visits it three times a day to make sure it's empty, or otherwise the trash is going to overflow. These are really basic questions. But cities seem unwilling or unable to sort of engage in that kind of um, depth of conversation when it comes to toilets. I think that's because if we get back to the beginning of our conversation, that idea about privilege, you know, most people get by pretty well and they they think, well, everybody else must be getting by, too. And and also it's about it's about humor. It's about people think it's a joke or people think it's gross or people think it doesn't matter. Whereas actually, no, this is thoroughly about how well we can use our cities. And even with privilege, Zuzia, I find myself sidling into a pub where I actually don't want to drink uh, and I don't want to buy a drink and it could be lunchtime and I just need to use a toilet and I 
sidle into a pub and I pretend I'm looking for someone and, and, and sort of sheepishly make my way to the toilet and sort of grin at the barman. And even that is an acknowledgement that I feel I'm doing, I'm doing something wrong. What is, what is it about us? Why have we put up with this, do you think? I think because it's a kind of an Asher look attitude. You know, when, say, I'm with my partner somewhere and we're out, he goes to the bathroom and then I say, right, I'll see you in half an hour. You know, it's it's almost become a joke. Um, and we've gotten so used to it that I think we just think that's, that's a normal part of life. And honestly, I don't know why. Um, maybe because we found ways of dealing, whether that's ducking into the men's if there's no one around or, I don't know, holding it until you get home, sitting through intermission because the queue's too long, all of these kinds of things. Or, God, I mean, I don't know how many times I've been in the Phoenix Park, for example, where it would make sense to have public bathrooms. There, There isn't one. There is a bathroom in the cafe, and there's one stall for men and one stall for women, and the one for women goes out probably to the entrance of the cafe, about 20 people deep half the time, and the men's one is always empty. So I routinely see women kind of skipping in there. So they find a way to make it work, even if it's not perfect. But who's going to kick up a fuss about bathroom facilities? Yeah, I was in one in Paris recently, Leslie, where where there was a big long queue. It was it wasn't a McDonald's, but something similar to McDonald's. A huge long queue for the women's, and there was clearly no one at the men's. And I was encouraging my daughter to go in because she was not, she was it was urgent, and um, she was going in the door, and this Frenchman speaking very, very rapid French, and his 11-year-old son, I asked him his age, they were heading in and they gestured very rudely at my daughter to step back that this was poor les hommes. Um, and I really, I, I, your book actually, oddly enough, I, I had blocked that out, but your book brought it back to the surface again. <laughs> and I'm getting mad all over again. <laughs> so, so, Leslie, where, sort of, what are we left with now? One of the things that I found fascinating in your book as well was the, was, was, was the, the number of different types of approaches that have been tried. I mean, there's an air P&P, for example. There are mm-hmm. these porta potties. Um, this uh, the, uh, you, you mentioned a place in Lunenburg in Nova Scotia, which, which I think yes. is your territory, which apparently has an exemplary toilet. But yeah. how do we get to that? Why do some Why do some municipalities get it right, as as apparently Lunenburg did, and others just can't be bothered? I mean, I gather Lunenburg has produced its own toilet art. Um, <laughs> so just tell um, me a bit about that and how, how, what it is that moves municipalities to get it right. and to. Okay. Well, I will say it takes people who understand. And I will, uh, as an aside, say the mayor of Lunenburg is a woman and the um, chief uh, CAO or CFO of Lunenburg is also a woman. Um, so... And I, in the book, I interviewed the mayor of Lunenburg, which for, for listeners who don't know, Lunenburg is a very, very, very small town um, on the south shore of, of Nova Scotia. And they created uh, a, a, an entire building at the end of their sort of tourist boardwalk area that is a public bathroom. Um, and it's a little house and it fits into the architecture and it's, it's quite lovely. And during the summer, it's not open in the winter because um, there's very, very few visitors in the winter, and it's primarily for tourists and visitors to their downtown. Um, but in the summer, most of the time it is open, it can be used as a tourist information um, kiosk, if sort of in the entryway. Um, 
which, which is a good combo. I like that combo, but I think that fundamentally city administrators need to understand the problem and they need to not dismiss the problem. And that goes a long way. Um, so if you have somebody like the mayor of Lunenburg, who I interviewed and she said to me, I couldn't believe this, you know, it was in my interview, I said, I was trying to say like, why, why would you do this? Not because I think it's so shocking, but because it is so rare. And she said, well, you know, when you've got a little one and, and somebody has to pee, you don't have very long. And I just thought, oh, right. I mean, she absolutely gets it. She gets it. So I think that's really important. And a great example of that um, in the U.S. is is Portland, Oregon, which has uh, an, a sort of army of uh, Portland loos. Those are their version. It's actually a proprietary design of Portland City Council who decided that they wanted to put in public bathrooms. Um, so they they actually created um, an on-street public bathroom that is off-grid um, it's, uh, made, it's quite, uh, graffiti proof. It's big enough that you can fit a, an entire bicycle inside. So you don't have to lock up your bike and there's potable water on the outside. So they thought, you know, this is a council that decided as a whole, we ha- we have to provide for people, citizens and tourists, and we need to do it right. Leslie, is it is it um, is there a degree of misogyny here, or is I mean I, I have these images of, of of men pouring out of pubs and clubs on a Saturday night and peeing all over the place simply because they can. So the, me, men do have an issue as well. They're just they're just not so shy about about um, performing on the streets, I suppose. Yep. Um, there there is a, there is a, an issue here, but is it? Is it a misogyny thing or is there, because I, you also write about the history in your book, which is actually fascinating. And you're still wondering how a woman in 1900 actually worked, did a day's work in London without using any toilet facilities because there simply weren't any. And, I'm, mm-hmm. and, and you, you, came, you, you still don't know, apparently. <laughs> That's right. Um, so a lot of a lot of this work has been done by Barbara Penner, who wrote the book Bathroom, um, and she looks at the sort of the history of uh, of public bathrooms through through the the sort of guise of of how women use them. But you're absolutely right. Uh, I, there is misogyny at play. I don't think it's sort of an active. Uh, let's keep women out of the toilets, <laughs> um, misogyny. But there is, there is in our society. You know, uh, you know, we talk about the fact that men design public bathrooms. That means public bathrooms going to work better for men. That's just, you know, people's experience goes into the work that they do. Um, there's the sort of dismissal of the issues that women have. Uh, waiting in lines. And that dismissal takes the form of a very common thing. We all have heard this men and women is, oh, women are just wasting time or they're doing their hair or doing their makeup or whatever. Um, I think that we need to also consider what you said is men can urinate quite easily out in the open. It is much harder for women to do so. The question is, is it harder for women to do so because women have to squat, that is, yes, okay, that's more challenging than just standing and urinating. But there's another layer there, and it's that women have a duty to modesty. Women are not, it's not considered as um, 
it's not considered appropriate for women to pull their trousers down past their knees and pee on a hedge or on a curb. Whereas it is much more socially acceptable for a man who's got to go, who doesn't have a bathroom close by to urinate on a building or in a corner. Okay, this is worth getting raging about. And the other story I read in your book, which I wasn't aware of, Leslie, was Hillary Clinton, uh, who arrived back late. You tell the story about Hillary Clinton. So uh, it was the de- one of the Democratic, live televised Democratic national debates. Um, and Clinton, during a, a commercial break, had gone to the bathroom and she got to the women's toilet at St. Anselm College, which is where they were filming it before a live studio audience. Um, and the bathroom for the women, as I understand, it was farther away than the men's, which is fine. You know, it happens. OK. Um, but she got there and it was occupied and she had to wait. <laughs> So the live broadcast restarted and you can, any of the listeners can look this up on YouTube and watch it. Um, And so it starts and no Clinton, there's just an empty podium there. Um, Anyway, and she eventually sort of strides up and says, sorry. Um, And this, this actually might've gone a little bit unnoticed, except for the fact that in a, in a, a talk, public talk or rally after um, Donald Trump made some comment about, oh, d- you know, do you know what Hillary, why she wasn't at the debate when the commercial break ended? It's dis- he called her disgusting, um, which is fascinating and I think speaks to that misogyny. It's no, that's not disgust. First of all, using the toilet is not disgusting. It is. It just is. <laughs> and secondly, he would not have said that about a man, I don't think. no. I, that, that, this is this is absolutely <laughs> terrible, Zusha. There, there, there is a code of practice that Dublin City relies on. I mean, we do have have something about providing the the, the necessity to provide toilets. Uh, there is a code of practice about installation, design, maintenance, work. So there appears to be something underpinning the supply of toilets in Dublin City. There is, and technically that code of practice suggests that there are supposed to be more toilets for women than there are for men in, say, private places like restaurants, bars, etc. So they recognise that women's needs are different. Yeah, okay. yeah they do. Um, and that's based on a British code of practice as standard. But it was very difficult at the time to discern whether that is in any way legally binding. Um, and I did try at length. And it seems as though it's mostly a suggestion, as in if you're building uh, a restaurant, it's probably best to have this in mind. But as anyone who has been in a woman's bathroom in Dublin will know, usually there's one stall each. Well, not usually, but often there's one stall each and there there just aren't enough. Um, So, you know, there's a nice idea there, but it's just not being executed. Leslie, finally, <laughs> you, you, you being the, 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 the toilet lady, I mean, how does that label sit with you? I love it. I absolutely love it. Because um, you know what? I think toilets, public toilets are everything. They are absolutely a window into, into our society that shows us exactly who matters 
and exactly who has been left out of planning and left out of, of the way we design cities. So yeah, I'm hundred percent okay with that label. Love it. <laughs> and, you, and you have some, you have some comrades in arms as well in Absolutely. the UK, Clara Greed, uh, yes. Rose George, Rachel Gordon, a number of other people. So we have, we do have some people up in arms about this. What do you suggest we do, Leslie? Is there, do we just get cross and start accosting our, our uh, politicians? Or what do we do about this? Well, I think that that's important. I think that um, I think that we do need to. I would say a nice, easy thing that that any anybody, male or female, who anybody who has you know something that prevents them from using the bathroom as easily as others or not should be looking at their their municipal uh, administration or council and asking for every everything that goes in every new park every new uh you know transit terminal anything like that what does the bathroom situation look like and i think of it you know we do that now routinely many cities do this when we talk about the climate emergency you know you don't just randomly throw something up and not consider the impact on the environment of that space that's being designed or installed, the same thing should happen with toilets. You should look very, very comprehensively at what are the needs in this particular place and how do we meet those needs to make sure that this space works for, this is key, for everyone. Because I think one thing that happens is, um, you know, Zuja talked several times about having to leave a place because she couldn't access the toilet. I think that's very common. That's certainly happened to me. If people are leaving places because this aspect of the design is not working, then nobody is standing there complaining. Nobody is is kicking up a fuss. It's just that, you know, we've had to we've had to go and we've had to go somewhere else. So those people are really invisible in this whole calculus. And I think it's important that we stop being invisible about the things that don't work. Oh, my God, I'm so on your side. Zuzu, are you prepared yeah. to be Dublin's toilet lady? <laughs> I will uh, radicalize you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you radicalized me. I'm I'm hoping Zuja is similarly, as seen as she started this in, in, in Ireland, I'm kinda of hoping for I've great plans for Zuja, actually. Yeah, I think this is bigger than me now, so <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> Leslie, you're starting a war and thank you for it. Great. <laughs> Listen Thanks for joining. And thank you so much. We really enjoy the book and we highly recommend it to people who want to be radicalised about toilets and recognise that it is a human right. That's the conclusion I've come to after all of this. Leslie, thank you so much for coming on the line to us and also to Zuja for coming into the studio today. And that's it for today. Thanks very much to our guests, Leslie Lowe and Zuja Whelan. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Acast and all good podcast apps. If you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, and by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thanks very much for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 